If you have a Bible, let's go to, uh, to Matthew chapter 6. We've been um, studying for the last six weeks the Lord's Prayer and trying to um, understand this thing called prayer. But let me say something that may seem remarkably uh, simplistic, but what we pray for, <clears throat> what I pray for, is that this series this summer wouldn't just result in you having more information about prayer or for you to be able to say to somebody, oh yeah, Randy, I think taught through that back last summer. But uh, my prayer and my hope and all of the preparation that we're doing is that your prayer life would be profoundly impacted by what we're teaching. That this understanding would lead you to experience and that experience would lead you to intimacy or more intimacy with Christ, which always changes us. Does that make sense? So if you feel like you're kind of stuck, like you're not really seeing much of an impact at all in your, your actual living out in prayer, then I would really challenge you to, uh, in your small group, to say to your small group, I'm stuck. I'm just not getting it. It's not having much impact here. I'm getting a lot up here, but I'm not getting it here. Because don't we all want to be able to have, uh, like, what kind of words would you like to have when people describe your prayer life? Wouldn't you like to have people say, powerful? Like, when she prays, it, it's powerful. Or electric. Wouldn't that that'd be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? Where, like, electricity flows from your fingertips when you pray? No? You wouldn't like that? Like, what words would you want somebody to be able to say about your prayer life? Effective. Successful. I love that. You know, what happens is a lot of us, we lose words like that when it comes to our prayer life. And instead, they're replaced with words that are like, yeah, I ought to. Yeah, I should. I wish that my prayer life was like that. And so our prayer life becomes this really this stale, we hope it could be, and we hear tales of saints in caves somewhere that are experiencing, you know, where God himself is bringing visible visions to them and revelations, but that's not for us because we live in Nashville and we have air conditioning, you know? So we can't experience that. And so we kind of settle, and I was thinking about this uh, this week, how that poisons our minds and our hearts and even our spirits and uh, I came across this, and I thought it was a perfect illustration of uh, how we often slip into a mindset about prayer that gets us broken from the very beginning. I know you've probably seen this, but... When I grow up, I want to file all day. I want to climb my way up to middle management, be replaced on a whim. I want to have a brown nose. I want to be a yes man. Yes woman. Yes sir. Coming sir. Anything for a raise, sir. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be underappreciated. He paid less for doing the same job. I want to be forced into early retirement. <laughs> you know, why would they do a commercial where they have kids saying stuff that you often hear adults saying? Because really, isn't it shocking that a kid at the beginning, before they ever achieve anything or ever have any experience, would say what most adults say at the end of their journey of trying to achieve something? 
But isn't it true, it's shocking when we start off talking about our prayer lives and we start talking about failures rather than dreaming about what God has intended for us. And I think and I believe and scripture teaches that your prayer life should be a powerful thing in your life. It should be effective. It should be electric. It should be dynamic. It should be all those words. So why isn't it? Because often our prayer lives become like this tug of war with God. That this is what I want and, and God is over there and if I pray enough, then I can, I can tug God over to my side of the table to give me what I want. And I've got certain tools like repetitive prayers, you know, or having lots of people pray, or I have the prayer chain. If I can get a prayer chain of people, man, then God is going to be strong-armed in my direction. Or if I fast, oh, wait a minute. If I fast, then God doesn't have a prayer. I think that was a joke. Thank you. All right. Because I, I, I see this struggle of tug-of-war. Because in my heart, I believe this. That if God doesn't give me what I want, something's going on. Because if God, if I was God, this is what I would do. If I was God, I would do A, B, C. And your list, make your list as long as you want it to be. If you were God, what would you do? Well, if God's not doing what you would do if you were God, what does that say about God? It's possible that it says a couple things about God. It either says that God isn't really God and isn't capable of doing any of those things in the first place, so prayer is powerless because prayer is only as powerful as the one that we're praying to, right? Prayer, the power of prayer is not found in the one that bends their knee. The, the power of prayer is the petition that is made to the one that has the power. So if God's not doing what you want him to do, maybe he doesn't have the power to do it. Or worse yet, maybe he has the power, but he doesn't care. And so maybe this God is not doing what you would do if you were God, is that he's not good. Because if you were God, you would do good things, right? Is that possible? And so we play this tug-of-war with God, trying to convince God to do the right thing. To try to convince God to do the good thing. To try to convince God that what we want is what he should want. Well, it kind of reminds me, you know, that Scripture says in James chapter 4, you ask and your prayers are powerless and you don't receive from him because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. What he's talking about there is that our prayers become powerless when we think that our own desires and our own pleasures and the things that we want most of all are the very things that God should want. And if he gives those things to me, then I'm going to spend it to make my life better, to make it richer, to make it happier. It's kind of like that, uh, that beautiful work of art in uh, the theatrical world of film that was made a couple of years ago that I'm sure you've all seen. Uh, I think it won many awards. It was Back to the Future, number two. Remember that? Uh, where Biff Tanner, uh, the every uh, working man's thug, found the sports almanac with all the scores of every game played in every sport for 20 years, went back in time and started making bets and made millions. And what did he do with his millions? Come on, what did he do? 
He bought the whole town. He turned it into Biff Town, you know, and it was full of gambling and crime and all the things that Biff loved. He, sur- he built a world that he could indulge all his pleasures in. And what the scriptures is saying to us is if we're pl- praying from a position of, I want for my pleasure, then your prayers are going to be powerless. So praying to get is wrong, right? Right? Okay, Matthew chapter uh, 6. Somebody got it and stand up and can read it for us? Who feels like reading tonight? I don't have a microphone, so you've got to read loud. Come on, Matthew chapter 6. Yeah. I, introduce yourself, man. Did y'all hear what his name is? We did. Carter Henderson. Can I talk into your face? You know, if you want to stand that close to me, I'll let you do it. <clears throat> Come closer. All right. Verse 5, 3.15. All right. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Okay, stop right there. What was the last two words you just read? Reward you. Reward you. Y'all say that with us. So one of the goals that Jesus right here is saying, the goal of prayer is what? Reward. Okay, keep going, Carter Henderson. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Beautiful. I thought you were going to say stop. No, nope, no, nope. <clears throat> but I love the anticipation. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father, father will not forgive your sins. Beautiful. Thank you. You did a great job. He is bold. What reward? Now, we're talking tonight. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer. And tonight we're on the verse where it says, Give us, give us this day our daily bread. You know, we've been in this series for seven weeks now. And this is the first time we've talked about the prayer list. That should stick out to you. That we, we've been talking about prayer for seven weeks, and this is the first Sunday that we've talked about things you should pray for. And what I want you to hear is that Jesus wants you to be rewarded. He wants you to experience reward. Jesus said, ask. He is for our desires, and he is for our wants. Matter of fact, God is more eager to answer your prayers than you are to pray. He longs to give you the desires of your heart. Really? But first, he wants us to understand what our desires are. Turn to John chapter 15. Let's look at something together. In John 15, we learn something really significant about prayer. And 
We, uh, we're going to look at a couple of things before we get back into, into our time of worship. Chapter 5, or chapter 15, verse 5. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to his disciples and he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is making a statement to them and to us is that we are rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the glorious light so that we can produce fruit. He has created us to be fruit bearers. At the beginning of the summer, uh, Renee and I, we planted uh, about six or seven tomato plants in our backyard. And I have to tell you that we had motives for planting those tomato plants. There are motives to, uh, to feeding them with uh, miracle Grow. There are motives to putting straw around them so that weeds don't compete with them for nutrients in the soil. There's a motive for why I'm out there every evening watering them. There's a motive why I'm clipping off the, the dead leaves. I have a motive when it comes to my tomato plants. I love my tomato plants. I planted them there so that they would produce tomatoes, fruit. I want them to be productive. I want them to be fruitful. Because when they are fruitful, I benefit from the fruit of those tomato plants. Now look at verse 16. Because Jesus is saying something remarkable about us. You did not choose me. He's saying this to the disciples. But I chose you and appointed you to what? To go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then, and listen, this is powerful. Because if we understand that Christ has rescued us, that he loves us, and because he loves us so much, he makes us fruit producers. That he wants us to participate in the work of the kingdom and flow through us and produce the fruit of the kingdom within us. As a mission of fruit producers, this is what Jesus says. Then, when we walk in that and we realize that we were made to produce fruit, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Let me read that again. The Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Seriously? I mean, let's think about this just for a minute because what Jesus is saying is that when we understand and walk in the fact that we have been made fruit producers that we're producing fruit of the kingdom, that our native language now is prayer. And the very purpose of prayer now is to produce fruit. That my prayer life is a fruit-producing mechanism because I'm speaking the native language of my new kingdom. And in that native language, Jesus says, ask the Father whatever, and he will give it to you. There's got to be a catch, right? Well, let's keep looking. Look at 15, verse 17. I'm sorry. That's the wrong verse. Verse 7. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So we're encouraged to ask whatever we want. 
we're told that God would be the giver. And then look at verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Do you see the formula here? here here's the formula when it comes to this fruit, all right? We ask because we have need, right? Bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So I'm asking, which is the native language of this new kingdom that I'm in because I've been made to be a fruit producer. What happens when I ask? God meets my needs. He gives. And when he gives, what happens when he gives? My father, look at verse 8. What does it say there? What happens to the father when he gives to me? Glory. This is remarkable. Because the Lord is saying, I'm glorified when in your need you ask, and in your asking I give, and when I give to you, I am glorified. It's his provision, it's his glory. You know, it's funny, uh, my kids when they were younger, um, they had no hesitation when they would come to me and ask me for stuff. No hesitation at all. And you know what? It was remarkable as a father, if you've ever been a father, that when you give to your children, it's a joy to give to your kids. And when you give to them something spectacular, what do they do? They're over the top. You're glorified. You're like the best dad in the world, right? Well, the formula that that the Lord is showing to us, because we started the Lord's Prayer with what? Our Father. He's our Father. And he's saying when it comes to asking, we are to ask. And he will give. And when he gives, he is glorified. Prayer is for fruit bearing. And powerful prayer is the prayers that produce fruit. But let's go back for a second. 15 verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. There seems to be a catch here, doesn't it? And the catch is that I have to remain in Jesus And Jesus has to remain in me. Now, this is where Christianity kind of (laughs) gets. There's always a catch. There's always something that I got to go learn and do. Like, uh, Renee, I'll tell you the the most women in the room. These are dreaded words to the man in your life, if you have a man in your life, is to walk into the room and look at them and say, do you notice anything different? that's like the kiss of death for me at my house. There are two women in our home, and when they do that, I begin to sweat because I know that a test has now just begun. And I fail it every time. So I'm looking at first, I know the routine. Okay, first you go to the hair, all right? And then you go to the shoes. Then you go to the dress, all right? I don't know. I, you know, I just don't know how to do this. And you know what I would love? Because even when I get it right, I get it wrong. Because, uh, you know, when Renee, like, she gets her hair cut, and I'd, I'd notice, and i go, wow, your hair looks so nice. That that's just not the word, you know, that it needs to be something more like cute is not the word either, uh, especially on Friday night when we're getting ready to step out. That's not the word. And so I would love it if Renee would come to me and say, okay, Randy, let me tell you what's about to happen. I'm going to walk in the room in about five minutes and I'm going to ask you, do you notice anything different? Well, I just got my hair done and I want you to notice that my hair is done and when you see me go, 
honey, you are just the most gorgeous, you know, 40-something-year-old woman that's walking on the planet. And I don't know what you got plans for tonight, but I got plans tonight, and we're going out. Or, you know, just, and that's what's going to happen, so that's what you need to say. So when she walks in the room five minutes later, I got it nailed. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Well, that's kind of like this. Is this what Jesus is doing? Is Jesus coming into the room and saying, ask, give glory, but guess what? Uh, you got to remain in me. There goes the mystery. Good luck to you. Is that it? Is prayer now guessing? 1 John chapter 5. You're going to want to write this down. And go back and look at it another time. 1 John 5, and this is 14 and 15. It says, this is the confidence, underline that word, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything, anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that he, that we have what we ask of him. Did you hear the catch there? What was it? According to his will. I don't know who said that. The, the phantom responder. Thank you. That seemed like another catch to you? That not only now am I to remain in Christ, and Christ to remain in me, now I have to pray according to his will. Well, if you don't hear, we're going to talk about this in just a second, but here's what I want you to write down in your notes if you're taking notes, is that Jesus is first saying it's possible for you to remain in him. And he's also saying it's possible for you to know his will. If you get nothing else out of tonight, that is possible. But let's keep going. Now, 1 John chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. Or 23, actually. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Well, here we go. All right. We got remain. We got will. We got if we obey, he's going he's gonna to answer our prayers. So if I remain in his will, or if I'm in his, remain in Christ, in his will, and obey, then he's going to answer my prayers. Does this seem like it's just getting more and more complicated to you? Like, what is our chance of ever getting a prayer answered? This is like walking through a maze, isn't it? Listen to the next words. What's his command? What does it mean to remain in him? What is God's will? This is beautiful. Verse 23, and this is his command. Zit, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commands us. What is he saying? He's saying that something transpired at the cross and the resurrection that happened in our lives that could not have happened any other way. That our old hearts were taken out and new hearts were given. That's why we get the language that you've heard in our culture of Christians calling themselves born again because we started a new life at that point. The old is gone, the new has come. And in this newness of coming, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. 
If you don't understand that, go back and read John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Because Jesus talks about, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and I am in the Father, and we are one. And I am in you, and you are in me, and you are with us. Jesus talks a lot about it. If you, have, through the blood of Christ and through his resurrection, you've come into relationship with Christ and you believe on his name, you have been brought into the family. We are there. And when we're brought into the family in that passage of 15, 16, and 17, it talks about that we're no longer slaves. Now we've been called sons and daughters. We're not orphans anymore. And the father reveals to his children what he's doing. We can understand his will. And how do I obey? I put my trust and believe in the one who died for me and has given me this new life. So how do we do that? How do we live in that? In Psalm 37, it puts it this way. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's beautiful. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? You know, back years ago, I was in youth ministry, and uh, we would have about this time of the year fundraisers. And uh, let's, let's take a little poll and guess. Uh, what do you think was our number one fundraiser every year? Car wash. Man, what is it? You guys are so creative. It's right. And so we would have these massive car washes with about 100 junior high students. Now, let me explain to you what happens when you bring 100 junior high students to a Walmart parking lot and set up a car wash and give them about 12 hoses and about 50 buckets of soap and about 200 sponges. What do you think happens? Nothing. You're absolutely right. Because no car ever gets washed, right? Because they're spraying each other and they're throwing sponge and they're checking each other out and they're flirting, but they're not flirting because they think each other's gross because they're still in junior high and it's just not all working, but they're still, you know, and no car gets washed. Everything that we need to wash hundreds of cars, hands, muscles, eyes, okay, no brains, but hands, muscles, eyes, soap, sponges, you know, the hoses, they're all there. So our staff, our youth staff, their job when they step onto the premise of this car wash is to corral the resources and focus them in a direction that a car actually gets washed. Right? That has nothing to do with what we're talking about, right? Has everything to do with what we're talking about because your life, my life, is like a junior high car wash. <laughs> Let me close in prayer. That should be. <laughs> we have everything we need. If we are in Christ, then Christ is in us. And if we are in Christ, then we're his sons and daughters. We're the Father, sons and daughters. It's reality. That we, we can know his will and walk in obedience to what he has called us to. Everything we need is right there. But life comes in and drops these hand grenades, these percussion grenades in our lives that confuse us and scatter us and cause us to forget who we are, to cause us to forget what we have, and cause us to walk in this confusion like junior hires trying to wash cars. So let's just talk for just a second about how do we walk in prayer to where you realize what you have in Christ, the power that you have in Christ, and knowing what to ask for so that you can receive from the Father so that he can be glorified in your life and in our community. Well, it's all in what we've been talking about. Go back to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. 
Because the Lord's Prayer is beautiful in how it leads us to this place. Because we talked about the first week that, that prayer is an invitation from the Father in Revelations chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That any time I'm praying, I'm responding to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life because without that work of the Holy Spirit, I'd never pray anyway. So prayer is always a response to the presence of the Father already working in my life. It's a reality. And when I step through the door of prayer, I'm stepping into what Peter calls a participation with the divine where the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself are constantly interceding for me. I'm stepping into a divine conversation that's already taking place on my behalf with the Father. So when I step into that place and I bring the Lord's Prayer with me, what do we discover? Father. Our Father. What's the first thing that happens to me is I remember that I'm a son, that I'm a daughter. That's probably the last thing we remember in life, isn't it? I can remember all the things I got to do this week. I can remember all my failures. I can remember all the things that, that are not or should be or ought to be. It's hard to remember that we're sons and daughters. What's the second thing? He says, holy is your name. Oh, yeah, that's why you made me. That's my purpose in life is that you have called me to join with creation on earth and in heaven and bringing glory to your name. Thy kingdom come. Jesus, reign over me. Come and make your kingdom reign. Let you be the king of my life. Take the lesser kings and move them out. Turn down their volume and turn up your reign in my life that you'd be my king. Your will be done. I abandon myself to whatever you have for me. When I go through that process, do you think that changes what I ask for? Now my asking is in harmony with the reality that I'm a fruit bearer for the glory of my Father. Now what I'm asking is not with an eye in front of the mirror. My now my eye is to the Father. Now my asking is, Lord, how are you working through me that which is well-pleasing in your sight that you would be glorified and my life would have supernatural purpose and meaning? It's through that filter. So we come to the words, give us this day our daily bread. And let me just say a few things about that and then I'll close this, okay? You know what's beautiful about that? When I pray that prayer, I recognize that God is the giver. He's the giver. And before I can ask for anything else, I have to first recognize that everything in my life I have, he gave me. Everything. I mean everything. Literally everything. Your relationships, your friendships, your health, your clothes, your food, your car, your home. Everything that you have He has given it to you. And you know what challenges me when I realize that he's the one that's given me everything, even my struggles, is it lays an ax at the tree that I've been growing for a long time in my life where discontentment is the mode of operation in our family. Because we live in a culture where everywhere we turn, we're trained to be discontent with what we have. 
Isn't it true? I can't even turn on the television or the radio or any song or anything where it's not speaking about can you really be happy with what you have? What you really need is something new, something more, something bigger, something faster, something smarter, something brighter, something shinier. Because what you have is old. It needs to go. And you know what's amazing is when I realize what I have is what he's given me, then it gives me the freedom to do this. And stay with me, because this is just like an atom bomb in some of your lives. It allows me to step out of the world of grumbling for more and step into this world that says, I want what I have. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That is such a huge step. Grumbling for more. I can't believe I got this. To thank you, God, I want this. Because you are the one that gave it to me. There's a story back when Kentucky was a wild, unsettled place and it was a home of many bandits. <laughs> it still is. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> are you from Kentucky? All right. All right. Thank you, Mitch. Yeah. There was a preacher that traveled there. They'd run off most preachers. And people say that he was the ugliest man alive. And in his childhood, as he grieved this ugliness, that he lacked any kind of beauty or appearance, and he was cursing God that God would not give him beauty like he had given to so many other people that he envied, that when he stepped from this place of, Lord, I don't want what you've given me, I don't want this, what you've given me, and stepped over and said, thank you, God, I want what you've given me. Uh, the Lord called him into the ministry. And what's remarkable about this preacher is he was called to the badlands of Kentucky. And when he stood up to preach, he was so ugly that the bandits would stop heckling him and actually go and listen, what does this guy have to say? Like, he has got to be the ugliest person on the planet. And this guy <laughs> launched... God used him to launch a revival in that place. And we say, well, okay, God, I would love to receive the gift of being used by you for your glory in such a way that my life has purpose and meaning. But whatever you don't, don't do that through ugliness. Make me the most beautiful person in the world. Let me win pageants, you know. And the world will go, oh, glory is found in your face, you know. Let me have that. But think about the stuff in your life that you've said to God, I don't want this. A hard marriage? I don't want this. A bad relationship with your parents? I don't want this. A hatred of yourself? I don't want this. A hatred of your past? A tremendous fear of the future? The job that you're in? The kids that you have? Ooh. What would it look like for us to say, I'm stepping out of the world of grumbling. I'm stepping into the world that you're the giver. And you're good. And thank you. I want what you've given me. Even the struggles that I'm carrying on my back every day. This is the cross that you've asked me to bear. Thank you for giving it to me. Because you're working in me something that's so much more profoundly beautiful than I can see right now. But I can see you. And you're my delight. And I delight in you. And I, the desire of my heart is you.
Thank you for this pain. He's the giver. He makes us the receiver. Everything. The second thing I would just encourage us is he wants us to ask. That's just huge. He wants us to ask. Have you ever had a guest in your home that you really liked? I mean, like, you loved it when they came. And when you said to them, hey, if you need anything, just please let me know. And you genuinely want them to let you know. Like, please, ask anything. And then finally, I love where Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. That he is, he is cutting us free from being like everyone else around us that lives either in the past or lives in the future but refuses to understand how to live in the day. That Jesus is inviting us as the great giver of life to live right now. Because we so easily by our natural desires we want to live in the pain and the brokenness of the past that we can't change or the constant fear of tomorrow which we can't reach and live in right now. But when we allow those two things to come crashing into the presence, they rob us from the moment that we can live in today. Isn't it true? After the Korean War, there was a ton of orphans. And these orphans, uh, I was reading this week how they could not go to sleep at night, that they would feed them, they, would take, they created these orphanages and they would feed them and they would take care of them and then they would nurture them. But at night they would start stressing out and they couldn't sleep because all they could think about is, are we going to have enough to eat tomorrow? Because they couldn't grasp the concept that this orphanage is now taking care of us and it's got plenty. So to help them go to sleep at night, the, those that ran the orphan would go get a piece of bread and would put it in the hands of all the children so that they could sleep at night holding a piece of sliced bread. Because they would say, tomorrow's taken care of now. And that's how a lot of us live in our prayer life. God, give me so much that I will never be afraid of tomorrow. Give me so much that I'm not going to need you tomorrow. Give me so much that I am just going to be so awesome on my own terms tomorrow. And Jesus says, let tomorrow take care of itself. Today has enough worries of its own. Let me step into your worry of today. Because tomorrow may never come. Isn't that beautiful? Because when we ask him to step into the worries of the day, he's the great giver. And when he gives, he is profoundly glorified. Okay, I hope that helps. So let's practice it, okay? Um, let me lead us in a little bit of prayer. And uh, then we can have a few more songs in response to maybe what the Lord is doing in your life and um, see where he has for us. So let's practice this prayer. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we praise you that you're the great gift giver. We praise you that you want to answer our prayers even more than we want to pray. We thank you that as a father, you are so eager to jump into the needs of our lives that, Lord, we are staggered by your willingness and your generosity and the riches of your kingdom. And we pray, Father, that, that you would awaken us to a thanking you 
Thanking you, Father, for all the things that you've given us. Thanking you, Father, for everything that we have. From our pain to our successes to our possessions to, Father, whatever we have in our lives right now. So hear us, Lord, as we privately just thank you for everything that you've given us right now. That you would allow us to want what we have. Hear the prayers of your saints as they pray silently and thanking you. And Lord, we thank you that all that we have is from you. And that you're a good father. And now I pray, Father, that you would hear us as we bring our concerns to you, our our needs to you, our hunger for the bread of life. So as we think about, Lord, your glory and our eyes firmly fixed on you, hear the prayers of your people as we pray to you and ask you, Father, for our needs. That you would step in and abundantly give all that we need, Father. Just hear the needs of your people in this room, we pray. And finally, Lord, we just thank you that the greatest gift you give us is yourself through your son, Jesus Christ, and your presence and your power and your healing, the joy and the peace that you bring us through your presence. So, Lord, uh, hear us as we ask you to help us delight in you.